listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to, to Romans chapter 12. We are taking a couple-week hiatus from our series that we've been in since 1989 on Matthew. Uh, now, we, uh, if you're a guest of ours, what we do is we preach through books of the Bible. And so last December, we started the Gospel of Matthew, and we made it all the way through chapter 13. And we're going to pick up in a few weeks uh, in August, but we're just going to take a break from that and kind of do some standalones, me and Clint, the next couple weeks. Uh, and no real... Uh, there's not a necessarily, a, we're not going through the book of Jonah or something, just kind of our heart for our church on discipleship, on following Jesus. What do we need to hear? And so kind of that's where we're going the next couple of weeks, and then we'll come jump back right into Matthew. When I was 10 years old, 1984, uh, great year, uh, a new toy line hit the American shelves. Um, and this is back before Walmart and Amazon. You had to go to this glorious place for a kid growing up called Toys R Us. It was, a, it was a great place. Or KB Toy Stores, which was not quite as glorious, but Toys R Us. And uh, on the shelves in that summer of 1984 were these new things called Transformers. Man, what a good thing. And if you're unfamiliar, I mean, maybe you've seen the movies or, you know, kind of whatever nowadays, they're kind of famous. But it, it was these toy lines that came out and you had two kind of classes. You had the Autobots. These were the good guys and they were usually automobiles right, of some kind, and then you had the Decepticons, which were typically some kind of flying helicopter or jet, and their head guy was Megatron, who was actually a gun, which probably is politically incorrect, so he's probably not a gun anymore, but back then, he was a gun, and so you had the good guys and the bad guys, and it was these these toys that they started out as one thing, but with just a twist here and a turn there and and a crank there, the same parts became something completely different, a different purpose. They became a robot, Right, a truck that turns into a robot, a, a jet that turns into a robot. They they transformed, right? But the but the name is actually not super accurate. I was thinking about it this week. They didn't actually transform because you transformed them. So a better name would have been transformable, but that probably didn't make it through market research. Okay, it's not as exciting to buy a transformable. That just doesn't sound as good, right? Uh, so they went with transformers, which is fine. Uh, but really, they, did, they didn't transform themselves. They were transformed by an outside force. And so a more accurate name would have been transformable. Uh, for them, bad name. For us, transformable, great name. Because this is what God wants from his people. You say, what does God want for my life? You know what God wants? He doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't want your car. He doesn't want your job. He doesn't want your vacations. He doesn't want your money. What he wants is a group of people who are transformable. Right, this is what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians. We, all of us, with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image of, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That there is, it is very similar to the transformers, that there is one from the outside who is transforming his people and from one degree of glory to another. He's, there's an outside force, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, that is transforming his people into something else, right? And that is what God desires for his people. But unlike the toy, see the toy may be difficult once the first time you did Optimus Prime to turn him into the robot, but the toy doesn't push back. The toy doesn't say, no, I wanna stay a truck. The toy doesn't do anything. It just does whatever the person who is twisting it wants it to. People do. 
People push back. No, I don't, I, I'm happy being a truck. I don't want to transform. We resist that which God desires for us. And so what I want to talk about today is how, do we, how can we be transformable? You know, Optimus Prime, who's the head good guy, he used to, one of his catchphrases was, Autobots, transform and roll out. That's a cheesy 80s, like four guys got that. They're like, yes, I'm going back to the 80s, right? But that is in essence what God wants from his church. Church, be transformed and roll out. See, that's when we say go be the church, that's what we mean. Go be the church. Be transformed and go roll out. How does that take place? What does that look like in our lives? What are the things that keep us from that? That's what we're gonna talk about today as we unpack just two short verses, Romans 12, verses one and two, right? Because we wanna be a group of people that are transformable and that roll out. So let me read our text. We're gonna see three things, just three things for us this morning that God is gonna say through the Apostle Paul, how we can be transformable, what that looks like, what is this, how does this work in our lives so we can be fulfilling that which God wants for us. Let me read our text, Romans 12, one and two. Now, oh, I'm in 1 Corinthians 12. That's a wrong book. But I know, sorry, I was there for the Lord's Supper for service. Here we go. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Three things in these two verses. And I wanna, you know, just one of the, one of the reasons we do expositional preaching is so that you can learn to study the scripture for yourself. So let's do some good Bible study methods as we work through this. One of, the, one of the things you do when you're studying the scripture is you look for key words. And the first key word you'll come to in this passage, it's actually the second word in the Greek text. In your ESV, it's the fifth word. But if you have the NIV or the Net Bible or the new CBT, whatever that one is, the old Holman, CBS, I don't know what it's called, but it's a new one. The first word in their, in their translation is Therefore. And I think rightfully so. And hopefully you've been around long enough that when you see the word therefore, you ask what? What's the therefore therefore? That's a great question. Thank you for asking. This may be one of the greatest therefores in all of the Bible. If you can rank therefores, this is up there. Because what he's alluding to, chapter 12 of Romans is a hinge uh, chapter. It's a, it's a transition from chapter one through 11 where God for 11 chapters unpacks all that he has done for you. Right, all that he has done in salvation, all that he is offering to you, chapters one through 11. Let me give you Romans in 60 seconds. Let me preach Romans in 60 seconds. Chapter one through three, everyone is a sinner. Jew, Gentile, sinner. Heard of Jesus, never heard of Jesus, sinner. Religious, unreligious, sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because you are, you're under his wrath. That is bad news. But, Chapters four and five, when you put your faith in the one who left heaven, became a man, took on humanity, lived the perfect life, died on a cross on, for your sin in your place and rose again, when you put your faith in him, faith alone, grace alone, you have salvation. He is the solution to your sin problem. And then chapter six through eight, when you do that, you are in Christ, which means you are united with Jesus, which means nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ, even a lousy week. 
There is no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. Why? Because the spirit of the living God lives in you. He intercedes for you when you don't even know what to pray. He does it. That's how united to Christ you are because of faith. And then chapters nine through 11, you say, well, what about Israel? And what about Abraham? And what about David? What about all those promises God made? He'll finish them, right? God is sovereign over nations. He is sovereign over election. He is sovereign over salvation. You're like, I don't get all that. Either does Paul. That's why he says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor, right? The depths of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable is judgments. You don't have to understand, but you do have to trust him because he's good. And so in light of all of that, chapter one through 11, you were a sinner under wrath. You've been saved by grace of faith. You were a knight of Christ. You can trust God because he's sovereign. Now, therefore, therefore, what? I appeal to you, brothers. His word, this word appeal, that's the next key word. Parakaleo in the Greek. It's a word we, we get, he translates elsewhere, the spirit, the counsel, the paraclete, right? I urge you, I exhort you, I appeal to you, I encourage you. Here's what I love about this. God has just unpacked for 11 chapters all that he's done. And if I'm God, oh, I'm about to lose the glasses. If I'm God, I'm like, okay, look what I've done. You owe it to me now. That's where we would go. See all I've done? Now you owe me. That's not where God goes. He's not angry. He's not mad. He's urging. See, this is the language of love. Because of what I've done. Look at what I've done. Look at all that I've done for you. In light of all that, I urge you. I plead with you. I appeal to you. It's emotion there, right? This is not about duty, no, there's a time for duty. Don't get me wrong. There's a time. I'm on at eight. I got to show up at eight. There's a, I have a duty. But he's not, this is not about duty. This is about delight. He wants our delight. I urge you. I appeal to you. And look, look at the next phrase. By the what? By the mercies of God. As, as I asked for service. They failed this. So let me, hopefully you guys got a little extra sleep. Is mercies singular or plural? Like four of you passed English. Okay, great. Four, yeah. Plural. It's not the mercy of God. It is the mercies of God. Chapter one through 11, all that God has done. See, here's the problem in the church these days. We don't like to talk about sin and all these things because we don't want to offend anybody. Y'all, if you don't understand that you were under the wrath of God when I grew up in church, it doesn't matter. But I'm a moral person. It doesn't matter. If you don't grasp the fact that you were an enemy of God, that you were a child of the devil, and that God has now made you his own child, that you are heaven bound, that you are forgiven, that you are justified, that you have eternal hope. If you don't get the bad news, you won't get the good news. This is why, Genesis, this is why Romans 1, 2, and 3 is so important. He says, I'm appealing to you by the mercies, plural. I've lavished you with mercy. I've lavished you with grace. Not because you're good, but because I am. So in light of that, therefore, in light of that, this is your motivation, right? And here's what he asks. Present your body a living sacrifice. Which, you know, if you grew up in church, you're like, that's a little bit of familiar language. But let's be honest. The closest any of you have been to a sacrifice is tomorrow night, burgers on the gas grill. Not even charcoal. I mean, you're talking gas grill. That's the closest you've gotten to a sacrifice, right? Because this is foreign to us. But for these folks that he's writing to, 
They, they, they are, sacrifices are commonplace. Whether they were uh, a Jewish Christian at that time and they used to go to the temple or the synagogue and offer sacrifices, or even if they were a pagan, they went to the temple of Diana or somewhere else, there was an, there was an altar and you would bring a sacrifice and the point was so that you would get something from your God. You want good crops this year? Offer a sacrifice. You want it to rain? Bring a sacrifice. You want to bless you with kids? Bring a sacrifice. You want, maybe you're Jewish and it's the day of atonement. You, you want forgiveness of sins? Bring a sacrifice. And so they're familiar with the idea, right? But here's the difference, right? The difference is you would bring an offering. You would bring something that was about to be killed, right? God says, I don't, I don't want something dead. I don't want your animal. I don't want your money. I don't want your corn. Here's what I want. I want you. I want a living sacrifice, which is an oxymoron, right? It, the whole point of sacrifice is it's not alive, it's dead. But I want a living sacrifice. I want a holy sacrifice. And that word, you know, it doesn't mean, oh, I read my Bible for 24 hours a day and I pray and I go to church. No, it just means set apart, that you are set apart for him. This is acceptable. The word there means pleasing. You want to know what it is to please God? It's not going to church. It's not praying 24 hours a day. Those things are fine. He says, what pleases me is you set apart on the altar. That is what pleases me. That you would climb up, you you see this stone altar and that you wouldn't bring anything with you. You got nothing in your hands. Nothing in my hands I bring. And you would climb up there and you would just lie down. Here I am. That is what he wants. And the image is if you're familiar with the Old Testament, it's, it's, it's Isaac. Remember the story of Isaac, Abraham? Doesn't have kids, doesn't have kids, doesn't have kids. Supposed to be the father of many nations, he doesn't have kids. Finally, he has the promised one, Isaac, after he's 100 years old. And when Isaac's a grown man, I know you got the little Sunday school, you know, little flanograph with the little Isaac's like 12-year-old boy with his little, you know, lunchable walking with his daddy. That's not true. He was a grown man. Abraham's like 130. He's like a 30-year-old man, which means he could take Abraham, okay? He could take Abraham very easily. But, but they go up in this mountain to sacrifice, and they build this altar, and Isaac has no clue what's going on. And then after they're done the altar, Abraham says to Isaac, Isaac, I want you to climb up on that thing, buddy. And what does Isaac do? He climbs up there, and he lies down. And as his dad raises the knife to plunge it into his son, what does Isaac do? Dad, what are you doing? He lies there, a living sacrifice. Of course, God stops his hand at the right time and provides a ram. That's the image. The image is is the same as Christ, who Isaac was a picture of, who thousands of years later would be on that cross. But this time when the father brings the knife down, the nails go in the hands and he doesn't pull back. He pours out his wrath on the son of God. Why? Because he loves you. But that is the image, a living sacrifice. That's what he wants. A living, holy sacrifice. You do that. And here's, here's kind of our language. Here's kind of, let me put that in 2022. You want to be transformable? Then you got to be all in. You got to go all in. Right? That's, that's, that's getting on the sacrifice. Some of you, have you ever flipping through ESPN channel, all 35,000 of them, and, and at like 11 at night, they'll have like those poker tournaments, right? Which most of you, you know, you're like, I, you just keep going, I watch those things, I love those things. 
I don't know what it draws me in. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's millions of dollars on the line. But you know, you, you, here's these guys playing Texas Hold'em. And you can see what their cards are. They kind of look them. This guy's got pocket aces. Ooh, that's good. Okay, this guy's got, oh, he's got a potential flush. Right? And, and you know, you know what the other person have. They have no clue. They got their sunglasses on. They're looking all cool. It's like three in the morning. Inside, they still wear their sunglasses at night. Right? And, and they're, they're bluffing and they're calling and they're folding and they're checking. But then there's that moment that everyone's waiting for, waiting hours for. This guy goes, I'm all in. And he pushes this stack of, of chips on the front. And then everyone's like, oh, is he gonna call him? Is he gonna fall? What's gonna happen? And this guy's like, I'm all in too. And then they flip their cards. They're like, boom. And then it's the percentage is like 87%. And, you, and, you, and then they go to the flop. Oh, the percentage. Oh, my goodness. Look what he got. And then there's that last card. Some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know. You just Google it. But all the, some of the guys in there are like, yeah, I get it, yeah. And then they go to the river card, which is the last card. And this guy, oh my goodness, he got the straight flush and this guy's out. Why? Because they went all in. They put it all on the table and they risked it. And they didn't know what was gonna happen. But they went all in. And God is saying, I want you all in. Here's the difference between them and us. So when we go all in, there's zero risk. Zero risk. It is a win-win situation. Why? Because even if I lose my life, Jesus says, if you lose your life for the sake of me, you've gained it. So there really is no risk here to go all in. There's no risk at all. It's a 100% winning situation, which is what Paul says. He says, this is, underline that word, spiritual worship. Some of your translations say it's your reasonable service. It's the Greek word logikos. We get our English word logical. He says, it's the smartest decision you can make is to go all in. It is the wisest thing you can do because ultimately there's no risk. Why? Because it's chapters one through 11. Now, if God was a tyrant, if he was a despot, then there might be some risk. But that's why the therefore is therefore. So you would go back, oh, I can trust him. Why? Because this is what he has done for me. So this is your spiritual worship. This is your rational service. This is what worship looks like. Worship is not hands up, money in the box, reading the Bible. Those things are all great and good, absolutely. Worship is when you leave today, it's be transformed and what? Roll out. That's when worship starts. Worship starts when you go to Tybee after this, which you ain't getting to Tybee if you leave after this. That's just a bottom line. But worship starts when you go to work on Tuesday morning. Worship starts when you're in your neighborhood throwing ball. That's what he's saying. That's, that's what we're called to. Be transformed and roll out. And it goes, look, let's be honest. It goes against everything in our nature to get on that altar. That's why Romans 7 is there. Paul says, my flesh wants this and my spirit wants this and I'm constantly doing this. Yes. Anyone else feel that? Yes. Because it goes against everything in us. Because it's my life. It's my money. It's my body. It's my choice. And I need to be free. I want to be free to do what I want. Right? That's what we're celebrating. Independence. I want to be free. That's when I'll be happy. God says, you really think that you being able to do whatever you want is going to make you happy? Really? I'm getting on a plane this week. What I want when I got on this plane is I want to put on a helmet that says Maverick. And I want to jump in that cockpit and be like, I got this, sir. I feel the need, the need for speed. That's what I want to do. Let's go. That would go well for no one. 
No one on that plane, in that cockpit, on that runway, that would be a bad decision. A good decision for me to walk down that, that tarmac and say, good morning, to go to 39C, to drink my ginger ale, eat my gluten-free pretzels, and let the pilot take me wherever he needs to take me, and then thank him when I get off. That's wisdom. It's not freedom. It's wisdom. Why? Because I can't handle that. And what God is saying is, I can handle it. Get on the altar. I'll take you where you need to go. Trust me. Trust me. Right? That's, I've proved it, chapter one through 11. It's the only rational choice. It's the only rational choice. And I think some of us, myself included, we see very little transformation in our lives. Why? Because we're up and down this altar. I mean, it's like a ladder for a fireman. Oh, I'm on the altar. It's Sunday morning. I'm off. It's Monday. I got a job. I got a relationship. I got a girlfriend. I got to do this with my money. I got to let that person know what I think about them. So God, I can't do that while I'm on the altar. And we, got all, we get up and down, up and down, and up and down. He said, no, get up, stay up. Be all in, right? Be all in. And so I think a good question for maybe you to ask this morning is, what's keeping you from being all in? Are you afraid? I am sometimes, right? But why? Again, that's why you go back to the promise of God. That's why you go back to chapter one through 11. Why am I afraid of the God who did this for me? Is it because there's some sin that you feel like it's gonna make you happy if you give it up? It won't, right? It's, I think it's because we don't believe the truth that, that, that surrender is the channel of blessing the true channel of blessing in our lives. It's surrender. We don't believe that. We think freedom, me doing what? That's the channel of blessing. No, it's really surrender. It's going all in because this God has proven who he is. And if we're gonna be transformable, bottom line, it starts being all in. Being all in. That's the first thing. Look at verse two. He's gonna give two commands in verse two. Let me skip to, there we go. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So let me make my Greek professors real happy here. Two commands here. One negative, one positive. Let me parse them. That's what the Greek, let's parse the Greek, right? This is what we call a present passive imperative, all right? So it's an imperative, which means it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not, hey, you may wanna do this. It's a command. It's a do this, right? It is in the present tense, which means it's not a one-time thing. It's a continual thing. Okay, it's repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated and on and on and on. And, it's, and here's where it's really unique. It's an imperative, but it's in the passive voice. So when we usually give imperatives, we usually don't give them in the passive voice. We give them in the active voice. So I tell my kids, walk the dog. That's active. They are walking the dog. Clean your room. They are cleaning your room. This command is in the passive voice, which means you are not conforming yourself. The action is being done on you. So he's saying, do not allow yourself to be conformed or, or molded. The image is real simple. Think about when you're a kid and your kid's got Play-Doh. Remember Play-Doh before you ate it all? Play-Doh. And you'd have like a mold of some kind and you push that Play-Doh into that little thing and you pull it out and it would be the exact mold of what you put it in there. He said, that's conformed, right? And, and what he's saying is the world, whether you know it or not, is trying to mold you. It is trying to conform you with a worldview, with standards, with morality, with speech, with all these things, right? It's, it's happening. He says, don't you let it. You wanna be transformable? 
then do not be squeezed. Don't be molded. Don't allow it to happen. Why? Who is the one behind all these things? Who is the God of this world? Satan. Whether you believe in Satan or not, it doesn't really matter to him. He is real. He opposes the people and the work of God. And he is the God, little g, of this world for a season. But his time is coming. But while he's here, he is blinding people's minds and he is he's infiltrating people's brains and just, just giving a salad bar of lies of, of contentment and significance and joy and security and all these things. And it's happening consciously, very easily seen, and it's happened subconsciously, right? It's, do you think it is by accident that Disney, Pixar, has a same-sex couple in a movie that's aimed at eight to 14-year-olds? Do you think it's, oh, we just, that's just, we overlooked that. No, it's because the God of this world is trying to desensitize a younger generation to call what God calls sin good. Period, end of story, have a nice day. And here's the problem. Some of y'all are buying into it hook, line, and sinker. Why? Because it's been subconscious or conscious. You are being conformed to this world. Oh, that's so 1940s, Bill. That's 1950s. It's not 1940s. It's 1950s. It's 33 AD and 64 AD and, and 100, 1200 BC. It doesn't really matter what AD, BC it is. It matters is what does God say about this? That is timeless, right? And we got to stop looking to Oprah to define relationships. We got to stop looking at the Harvard business guy talking about what money. We got to stop saying, well, what is socially acceptable and what is everyone doing? That must be a, a standard for morality. We don't go there because the God of this world has infiltrated and he is moving in that world, right? And his strategy is very simple. First John, the apostle John tells us, he goes after the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boast of pride of life. This is what John says. He said, don't love the world, the things in the world, not the people. He's talking about the system. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, that's to, to feel, to, to, to have pleasure. The lust of the eyes, or the desire of the eyes, that's to, to have, that's your salary, that's success, that's, that's possessions. The pride of life, that's to be, that's to be accepted, that's to be liked, that's to be popular. He said, these things are not from the Father, these things are from the world. This is his strategy from the beginning. Sex, salary, status. Pleasure, possessions, position. This is what he did to Adam and Eve, right? Eat the fruit. And what did they do? They saw that it was good. There's, there's that pleasure, right? It's good food. And they saw it was a delight to their eyes. There's the lust of the eyes. And then it would make you wise like God. There's the pride of life. It's not new. It's just been repackaged. And the way you don't allow yourself to be conformed, it's very simple. It's just be aware that it's happening. You gotta know. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, you gotta know, you can't be ignorant of his designs. You gotta ask yourself, where am I most apt to be deceived? Where am I most, where, where am I most tempted to be, to be pulled away here? And, it's, and again, remember, this is why chapter one through 11 is so important. This is why the therefore is therefore. You can't say, well, it's just God trying to be a cosmic killjoy. God just wants me to give up everything, pleasure, joy, food, everything. He just wants me to live miserable. That's not it. He gives good things for you to enjoy. He just wants you to see them as he sees them. That work is for this and money is for this and pleasure is for this and food is for this and friendships are for this. He wants, he's the designer. 
So he wants you to follow their design. The enemy wants you to make an idol of them and worship them so that when they do not satisfy, you will be crushed and go look for another. It's the difference, right? And so if you're gonna be all, if you're gonna be transformable, you gotta be all in and you gotta be aware that you're constantly bombarded with all these things and do not let the world squeeze you into this mold. But here's the positive. Here's the positive idea. Again, verse two. Do not be conformed to this world, but, and it's a strong contrast, but, not this, but this. Be transformed. It's the same exact structure. Present, active, present, passive imperative. It's present tense. Be constantly transformed. It's an imperative. It's not an option. Be transformed. Go do this. And it's in the passive voice. So it's not I'm transforming myself. It's no. You from, there's an outside force, the spirit of the living God. He is transforming you, but you got to let him. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. Well, how do I do that then? He tells you by the renewing of your mind. You want to be transformable? Then you renew your mind. You renew your mind, Right? The most important decision that you will make today is not where you go to lunch, is what service you went to, is what job you take, is who you're gonna marry. It's what you're gonna put in your mind. Because what you put in, you get out. Garbage in, garbage out. You sow to the flesh, you reap from the flesh. You sow to the spirit, you reap from the spirit. I have so much useless movie trivia information from the 1980s in this mind. I can tell you all about the last Starfighter, Goonies, every cult classic movie. Why? Because I've seen them a bazillion times right? Because you see it and you remember it and it's there. You can't help yourself, right? And so what he's saying here is this, you need a reprogramming and a renewing of your mind, not a conformed, a renewing. And I use this illustration years ago, I'll use it again because I think it's applicable. So I grew up, uh, my first computer, my dad's, our first computer we got was in 1996. It was a Gateway 2000. Remember those things? Came in a cow box. Remember that? And so this is old Windows DOS. Remember DOS? It would, you, you open the computer and you had to type in win. And, you, and then Windows would open and then, doo, doo, you know, the little music came out, right? And so I grew up on a PC platform. Used it for 10 years all through seminary PC. Had a little Dell. And then I came to Savannah, Georgia. We planned this church. And one of the elders said, you need to get a Mac. I said, what's a Mac? He said, just trust me. So we bought my, me a Mac, and it took me about a week and a half to figure this thing out. But after I did, I was like, what, a, what have I been doing all this time? I mean, start buttons and blue screen of death and McAfee virus protection and all these other things. Crash, illegal operation has occurred. All these other things. This is the way computering should be. It's logical. It works. It lasts more than six months. Right? Right? And it took me a while to go for it. At first week and a half, it's frustrating because it's new and it's, it's still a computer, it's still a keyboard, it's still all these things. It just worked the way it's supposed to. And some of you are over here in PC land and God is trying to get you over to Macville. You are, you are filtering things the way the world does and you're like, why does it keep crashing? Why is there viruses? Why is this? And, and God is saying, no, because you're doing it wrong. I need you to renew your mind. I need a new operating system, right? I need the mind renewed. That's what I need, right? It starts in the mind. And I think the churches of America, ours included, we are most weak because we do not know what God has said. 
And so we are deceived. We're getting our truth from CNN or you know more about TikTok than you do the Apostle Paul, right? Because that's where we're at. And I'm not down on TikTok or, or news organizations, but the church, if someone comes to your house and say, tell me how you know Jesus is God, I bet 50% of you don't know where to turn in your Bible. And that's a crying shame, right? If, if someone said, well, tell me why you believe this is sin, you'd be like, I don't know, Bill says so, go talk to him. And don't talk to me. You should be able to say, this is sin because X, Y, and Z. This is why I believe this. This is why. You should be able to do that. And we can't. Why? Because we know more about YouTubers than the apostles. Right? So we need to start renewing our mind. And so many of you are confused and you're like, I don't know. Why does Bill keep saying this and everyone else keeps saying this? Who's right? It's not, I'm not trying to tell you what I think. I really am not. I'm trying. My job, Clint's job, whoever stands up here is just telling you, this is what God has said. This is the S on our specs, the scripture. This is the first thing we put ourselves under the Bible, under what God says. And we just tell you what that is. You can like it or not, it doesn't matter. But in the end, we believe that it's truth and what God has said is true, right? So let me give you five quick ways, a way you can renew your mind. Just five quick ways, right? And they're all related. That you could, hopefully, God willing, that you would take this to heart and you would start today. You could hear the word of God. On a Sunday, yes. Be here when you're in town. If you're a two-time-a-month person, make it four. Make it three. Be here. Sit under the Word of God. But not just here. There is Christian podcasts and radios and apps and blogs. And there's all sorts of places that you can hear. Download the Dwell app. Pay $10 a year and get unlimited. You, you want to hear you know, uh, the, the NIV with a British voice? You can get it. 007, reading the Gospel of John. It's awesome. I don't care. You want someone from South Africa reading the Old Testament? Do it. And, and this translation and that translation, just put it on. Take a walk and listen to a book. Listen to a Christian podcast. Right? Listen to Christian music. Renew your mind by hearing. There's, t- there's too many opportunities for you out there to say, well, I don't, you know, I just don't, I don't know. You can't do that. Right? Yeah, you can. You can. Hear the word of God. Read the Bible. Spend time reading it. Just not, not, not taking deep notes. Just read it. Read, a, read a, a book in one sitting. You're like, oh, I don't know if I can read a whole book. Read Obadiah. It's like one page. I mean, it's not exactly in, encouraging. Edom is destroyed, yes. But it's a start. I read a book of the Bible today. Just read it. Read it in the New Living Translation. That's a great translation to read. It's a paraphrase, so it's not a literal, but it's a good translation, a good paraphrase. Read a gospel, sit down in 30 minutes, take 30 minutes. That's the, that's the length of, of one of your sitcoms and read through a gospel, right? Or if you're like, well, I only got five minutes in the morning, I gotta get kids. Okay, great. Wake up, read a proverb a day, right? There's 31 proverbs, one for every day, except for the 30 days and the 28 day month, February, right? So read two one day. I don't know. Read a Psalm. Just read it. Renew your mind with it. Be amazed what God brings to mind. Read the word. Here's another one, study. This takes a little bit more effort. It's actually, okay, like I said before, you wanna know what the Bible says on marriage? Study it. Start in Genesis three, study it. Go to Ephesians five, study it, right? Go to 1 Corinthians, study. What does God say about marriage? What does God say about work? 
What about the deity of Christ? How do I know that Jesus was, was fully God and fully man? These are things that you need to, to, to dig deep. Don't take my word for it. Do what the Bereans did. When the apostles come to town and are like, I don't know what about this, what you're saying. Let's go back to the scripture. They study the scripture and they're like, you're right, it's there, we saw it. Study, it takes a little more digging, a little more time, but do it. Right, study, be diligent, Paul says, to present yourself as a worker approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. Memorize it, here's another one. Memorize the word of God. And I know the excuse, I've heard all this, oh, I'm too old to memorize. That's, that's bogus. You know, I, if I start saying right now, eight, six, seven, five, three, half of you are like, I got it, I got it. You know the song. You have memorized it. You can sing it. I know you can. And maybe, maybe you're 70s, okay? So you're a, you're, a, you're a Zeppelin guy. Maybe you're 60s, you're a Beatles. You know how to hold your hand. I want to hold your hand. You know, whatever. You know stuff. You can, you can memorize it. I'm not saying you have to memorize the, you know, the whole, whole of 1 Corinthians. Start with Romans 12, 1 and 2. Read it seven times. Write it seven times. Put it on a card. Put it on your, on your refrigerator so every time you go for a glass of milk, you don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Put it on your window in your car. You'll be amazed that if you start memorizing passages, hey, if you struggle with anger, memorize a passage on anger. If you struggle with, with lust, memorize a passage on lust. With, with selfishness, you'd be amazed that when that temptation comes, how God, the Holy Spirit, will bring to mind the sword of the Spirit, which is in your mind, because how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought thee. Don't let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart. What? That I might not sin against thee. And he brings it to mind. And then you have a weapon to fight in this spiritual battle. But if you're not gonna do it, you're not gonna have any weapons. You're going in gunless, armed, unarmed. And it's a spiritual battle, Ephesians 6 says. And the last one is meditate on it. Meditate on it. That means think on it. Now, meditation in kind of the Eastern mysticism is empty your mind. That's not biblical meditation. This book of the law shouldn't depart out of your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. The psalmist says, don't walk in the counsel of ungodly and wicked uh, or stand in the way of sinners. Your delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. And what's the result? He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing fruit. Meditating is thinking on it. What does this mean? What does this look like? Go to bed at night. Memorize a passage. This is what I'll often do. Memorize the book of First Peter once uh, a couple years ago. And... I'll just kind of start going on it in my head and just even go to sleep thinking about this. Thinking, what is this? It's, it's a meditation on God's word. Get in a group of people, talk. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? That's meditation. What does this look like? What does this live loud? Get in your groups. Right. These are ways to renew our mind. You don't have to do all five. I did all five, Bill. No, just start tomorrow. Start Tuesday. Start doing this. And what's gonna happen is you're gonna become closer to God because you're drawing near to his word to him. This is how God speaks to his people through his word. And then we speak to him through prayer. You're going to start manifesting the fruit of the spirit, the character of the living God. And you're going to, here's the result. You're going to prove what the will of God is. That by testing, you may discern. That's one Greek word. It means to prove by, by doing. You're going to see it happen. You're going to see what God's will is. You're like, what's God's will? Renew your mind with scripture and you'll start living it. And you'll start seeing that which is good, that which is acceptable, that which is perfect. That's how you're transformable. It's not rocket science, but you're, you gotta, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. You gotta go all in, because that's the channel of blessing. You gotta stop being squeezed into the mold of this world, because if the church is like the world, then how do we impact the world? We can't. If our value system and the world's value system is the same, there's a problem. 
right? If our morality is the same, there's a problem. We gotta be distinct because we're holy and set apart. And then we renew our minds with the word of God. We saturate ourselves with truth so that when we, we can spot a fake. I was listening to, I saw a, a clip this week of uh, Frank Abagnale. You ever see that movie with uh, the guy from Titanic? What's his name, Leo DiCaprio? Uh, catch me if you can. His true story, read his, read his bio. And, and the guy talked about how he knows a false check because he knows what a real check looks like. He knows what the real deal looks like so he can spot a false one a mile away. That should be us. You know the real deal because you know it so well. Not just because you can spot a false. You know the real deal. You know what is true because you know the truth. So you can spot a fraud a mile away. Right? That's what we want. Be transformable. Right? Be transformable. I'm gonna pray. And uh, we're gonna celebrate the table this morning uh, as, as a church. Uh, again, back to the mercies of God. Right? We're gonna remember the mercies of God which open your eyes to the truth, which where God lavishes his love towards us. And so if you are, even if you're our guest, if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, we invite you to partake. This is our chance to just be reminded of the mercies of God. If you're not a Christian this morning, you're a guest, feel no pressure. Just let, let, the, let the items pass because this is a time for the people who have put their faith Romans 4 and 5, in Christ alone for their forgiveness of sins. It's a time, chance for us to remember that and to celebrate his mercy. And, and so you guys can kind of come up and start handing out the elements. And just again, I want to give you all some time and, and the quiet of your heart. If there's sin that needs to be repented of, repent of it. Is there, is there a commitment? If you need to climb back on the altar, this is the time to climb back on the altar. And God's not standing there like, you don't belong up here. He's saying, come on. Living sacrifice, holy sacrifice, acceptable sacrifice. That's what I want. You're like, I'm not worthy. That's the point. We know. That's the great thing about it. You're not worthy, but he was. And now he invites you to go all in. And so I will give you guys a few moments to just sit as, as the elements are handed out. And then I'll, I'll lead us together as we celebrate uh, uh, the table together.